Welcome to BIV Today. I'm Tyler Orton. And look, as the pandemic takes its toll on some of Vancouver's most culturally significant businesses, we're talking, you know, galleries, theaters, restaurants. Many are left wondering about how we can preserve these spots. And joining us today to talk about the importance of such efforts, it's Jeremy Stone. He's Director of Community Economic Development at Simon Fraser University. And Jeremy, I want to thank you for joining us on the program today. Yeah, thanks, Tyler. So before we dive into kind of the the meat of the matter here, but uh, when we're talking about culturally significant businesses, what, what is one of those? Like, why is that, you know, distinct from, say, a Starbucks or a McDonald's that you might walk across here in uh, Vancouver? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that there are different examples of culturally significant businesses. Um, so say, for instance, Rocco Saris um, in the Sunset neighborhood. You know, they uh, provide fabrics uh, primarily to the Indo-Canadian community, but to uh, all communities that are, you know, looking to, to sew and develop outfits, et cetera. Um, but, you know, they play a really critical role um, in, you know, celebration of cultural events by, you know, supporting the development of outfits for weddings and, and other special events, graduations, et cetera. Um, but then they also um, play a role in the film industry and they support uh, that through providing uh, fabrics for set de- decoration and, and other design. And so, you know, part of the, the argument that we've been making lately at SFU CED is that, you know, it, it's both um, businesses that are connected to particular cultures in the city, but then also the development of art and culture itself. And, and there are lots and lots of retail businesses that actually play a really uh, important role in that. Well, what about the pandemic and the impact it's had? Like, obviously, a lot of these businesses, they're stretched thin. Maybe they've had to reduce hours. How is the pandemic really putting a pressure on these businesses where, you know, if a Walmart, you know, went under here in Vancouver, I, I'm sure we wouldn't be shaken to our core so much from a cultural perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I think that all the businesses are feeling the same pinch. I mean, they're, you know, losing customers, losing income. Um, and, and I think that uh, to me, what's been interesting in in some of the research we've done around this and, and some of the stories that we're telling about this is that it, it's not just the businesses themselves, it's the employees that are really feel, feeling the pinch. And so when you talk to different businesses um, that are engaged in this kind of work, you'll see that there are lots of students coming out from uh, Emily Carr and other you know, universities with design degrees, et cetera. And retail is a natural place for them to land, to be able to um, learn their trade within the retail environment, learn more about design, learn more about culture. Um, and then they go on to have their careers and they start their own businesses or, or go elsewhere. And now because of the, the impact on businesses, there's been a, a shrinking of some of those opportunities for employees. And, and, and you know, not only some are being laid off, but then some are, are just not able to uh, pick up those hours anymore and be in that environment and make those networks, et cetera. And so you know, my concern is that um, if we are a city or if any of our cities are really focused on artists and artisans and promoting culture and the arts, we also need to be looking at retail and supporting retail businesses so that they can continue to hire those artists and artisans and contribute to the flourishing of their impact on art and culture in our cities. Uh, just this week, 
the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, they came out with a survey in which they said that uh, as many as you know, one in five Canadian businesses uh, are at risk of shuttering due to the pandemic. Um, and what they're doing is they're, they're urging buy local, like buy local. If we're talking about measures that can be taken to mitigate some of these risks, um, is that one of them, you know, urging everyone to buy local at this point? I mean, absolutely. Um, you know, every Amazon package that you see is revenue that's not going to a local business. Um, so that I think is a critical piece. Um, and, and you know, I think it's it's more than just by local. Certainly, we need to be um, you know supporting our local businesses. But I think that there's a lot more that needs to happen for businesses about uh, long-term planning, about adaptation to the market, about trying to, um, to actually be a little more re resilient and, and disaster-proof, pandemic-proof. And, and we haven't done a good job of that. Um, you know, there's been a, a lot of money that's come down, but, but in my career, I found that the, the missing ingredient for small business recovery is always um, you know, technical assistance and that sort of handholding and support to get people through you know, this downtime to the, to the next uptime. And, and unfortunately, there's not enough of that support out there. Well, what are some of those steps that maybe government can take? You know, you've been on the show before. And we've talked a lot about emergency situations, say wildfires, for example. And I, I would say that this is, uh, you know, the, the economic impacts on these businesses brought on by the pandemic. It, it's almost kind of a wildfire for them. And, and so what efforts should we be you know, looking to government to make at this point? Definitely. I mean, I think that, um, you know, trying to provide um, connections to markets is really important. So, you know, like Surrey did a really great job with their manufacturing sector and trying to connect them to PPE uh, purchasers, et cetera. And they, you know, they really helped that sector pivot. Um, you know, we've seen some initiatives here and there uh, for um, you know, aggregating local businesses and putting them online and getting them connected to the public. And, um, you know, maybe it's not the government's role to do that per se, but definitely funding it and supporting it. And, and there have been some programs that the government have put out to, to sort of, you know, work around the edges of that. Um, but, you know, like, it, as I think that we can all see that the most successful um, in this vein has been like Uber Eats and Skip the Dishes and, and these sorts of businesses uh, that have aggregated, you know, so much of the food sector. However, they take tons of money, you know, um, they, you know, they charge a lot of fees and then they also take percentages from the businesses that are, are in some cases quite high. We've heard up to 30% or more. And so, you know, I think that there needs to be um, more of those for other businesses so that lots of small businesses who can't develop their own online presence and develop that brand can actually aggregate. But that also we, we do it in, you know, either a nonprofit approach or some other uh, method so that those monies are, are flowing primarily back to the businesses and not necessarily just to an intermediary. Yeah, I, I believe a couple months ago, the government introduced limits on what these providers, like, you know, like Skip the Dishes, Uber Eats, could actually charge to these local businesses. Those are kind of the measures that you figure like must be implemented if we can't have, you know, these small businesses competing with tech giants with their reach of audience, as well as just the technical aspects of what these apps can do. Yeah, certainly. 
Yeah. Uh, so, okay. So one thing that's been floating in my mind uh, just this past week, though, is companies that are trying to to pivot to a certain degree to keep their head above water. Uh, what do you make of, say, the Rio Theater, um, renowned theater on, on uh, Broadway uh, here in Vancouver? It's now becoming like a sports bar just in order to keep its lights open. Uh, are these kinds of the kinds of things that some businesses are going to have to shift to doing in order just to stick around throughout the run of the pandemic? Uh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, Corinne and, and the Rio are just awesome. I mean, I think that she has, uh, she's definitely navigated every sort of, uh, everything that the universe has thrown at her over the past decade or, or however long. Um, you know, it's, and I think that her pivot to um, the the uh, sports bar concept is is more of a, of like a protest than anything else. I mean, certainly it's a survival technique to, to be able to maintain, um, you know, the, the longevity of the, the theater. But I mean, she's making a point that, you know, well, sports bars are allowed to operate and you have all these people coming together. Um, why aren't theaters are allowed to operate, you know, and, and it seems sort of arbitrary. And, and I think that, you know, uh, we did a, a recent survey a survey and set of focus groups with uh, small business owners uh, and BIAs across the city um, with local BC, uh, asking them about the impacts of COVID um, on their businesses and what they want to see going forward uh, from the city and, and from others uh, for support. And, you know, one of the biggest things they said was that there's a lack of clarity on what's essential and what's not. And there was a lack of communication throughout the pandemic. And so there's a, a lot of challenges, I think, that um, the, the government has unintentionally perhaps created just by not being, um, you know, as communicative and as um, sort of, you know, uh, rational, I think, in some of these differentiations, which has then, you know, either forced businesses to shut down or, you know, like businesses like the Rio, they've been forced into a, a place where I don't necessarily know if Corinne wants to be a sports bar per se, you know, like, I mean, I think that her and their dedication has always been to movies. And, and so um, this doesn't really answer your question, but I, I do think that, you know, a lot of pivots are going to be necessary. They're going to take businesses to weird places, but I think the government should be doing more to, to actually facilitate um, business survival and, and make it a little more rational across the board. Well, that's the tough thing. Like Rocco Saris wouldn't necessarily be able to turn into a sports bar. It's not going to be applicable to all of these businesses. But is there optimism, at least, uh, that at least a, a good chunk of these businesses will be able to keep you know their head above water at least until there's max vaccinations going on? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, that, yeah. that's a, that's a tough one because. Um, you know, I think that there is, it's a case by case basis. There are some businesses that have pivoted really well. They had, um, you know, their sort of the fundamentals for going online before the pandemic started. And so then they just ramped up those um, those efforts. And, and so they're succeeding really well. There's also businesses that have uh, really attracted their core clientele around them, you know, like say Pulp Fiction Books, um, you know, uh, they've got a great clientele. Chris is amazing to, you know, all of his customers. And so, you know, a lot of these book buyers have really rallied around uh, Pulp Fiction have continued to support that business. I think a lot of other businesses who, you know, are perhaps vulnerable coming into the pandemic, didn't have the fundamentals to pivot, 
um, are perhaps, you know, like many business owners are just unable to deal with bureaucracy in general and deal with, you know, getting permits and things like that. So it's even more difficult to deal with recovery um, programming, et cetera. I, I'm not necessarily optimistic that a lot of those are going to survive, especially when so many of us are staying inside and we're just not going out to have fun or, you know, go just buy fun things. You know, um, the, the shopping habits of people have changed and will probably remain this way, at least through the summer. I, I'll try to be optimistic, but I, I think all of Please the do. concerns that you're bringing up are, are completely valid, though, Jeremy. And it, it's going to be a tough go for many of these businesses. And I, I hope we can get the message out, though, that uh, we should be paying a lot of attention to these businesses. But um, I just want to thank you so much for uh, jumping on the show with us today. Yeah, thank you. And I would just like to say in closing that I, I do think buy local is critical. But I also think that all of us as customers and as neighborhood residents should be looking around at our businesses and learning more about them and asking, you know, well, what else do you provide our society besides just selling, you know, objects or selling, you know, these shirts or whatever, because all the many businesses have a story that is much bigger than just what they sell. And I think the more that we understand that, the more we'll realize how much we need to support them. Well, I'll take you up on that. You made me feel guilty a little bit uh, ago because I did walk by Pulp Fiction last weekend. I did not walk inside. Next time I walk by, I, I, I will walk inside and uh, just learn more about it because yeah. I've shopped there before and it's a great store. Yeah, that would be great. Cool. For sure. Well, that's Jeremy Stone. He is Director of Community Economic Development at SFU. And that's it for the show today. But we will be back next week with our education series. Until then, I want to thank you all for listening. I'm Tyler Orton.